This is a Soulfire production. Here we are. We're back. Shit is happening. And we're going to talk about it. Because that's what we do on this show. I want to give a little, just a quick apology for the show and com- coming out a little bit later than usual. Sometimes I'm just out here trying to figure out how to do a show, what to put together, how to structure it, how to organize it, making sure I have my facts straight as if we need to actually consider facts these days. But, you know, sometimes it runs into the late into the evening. And sometimes I don't make it out in time. And here we are, a day late. And a dollar short, but I've been awake since 1.20 this morning. I got a good duck hunt in on some of our beautiful public lands here in Colorado. Uh, it was a very successful day for me, and I'm very excited about it. And I'm running on fumes right now, which means I might be a little bit delusional. I might say some things that I may later regret. I might get a little heated. I might fully fall asleep on air. But I can promise you that I'm going to do the best that I can to provide you with the best, po- with the best content possible at this moment. I want to give a quick shout out to Katie and Meredith for joining the deep state in our premium wanders Patreon community. Listen, here's one thing. Dr. Anthony Fauci just came out with something today, letting the world know that there is a cure for COVID-19 and it is the premium wanders community. No one in the premium wanders community has died of COVID-19 thus far. Maybe correlation doesn't mean causation, but play it safe. Hand the link in the show notes, go to the Premium Wanderers community, and join up. It is the best way to support the show. You also get access to some of the things that I think are entertaining and informative in the world today and what I'm researching and all that kind of fun stuff. And we get in there. We have conversations. It's a good time. It's the kind of conversations you can't have with your family and oftentimes your friends because they might cancel you. You might get canceled in real life. But you most likely will not be canceled in the Premium Wanderers community. That is a promise from me to you. Now, today we're going to talk a lot about Biden's executive orders and a couple of other things that have been going on. I'm a little heated about something, and you're going to find out what that is. We're going to get into these executive orders, and we're going to pick out, we're going to list them all off. We're going to break them all down. Well, not all of them down, because some of them are relatively meaningless. We're going to pull out a few of the choice nugs here and just see what we got going on as far as that is Concerned. So, since I can feel myself fading quickly, let's go ahead and get into it. It's time for the state of things. All right, executive action. I want to preface this by saying that I don't appreciate the amount of unilateral power that the president holds to create these executive orders that we are speaking of here, but these guys don't call me up and ask me my opinions yet. So here we go. We're just going to list them off. 
maybe share a few thoughts here and there, but there's a lot of these. He's just, Biden is all over the executive actions, and we're breaking them down by day. So we've got this article here from NBC News, the most unbiased source of media in the on the planet. Like, this is where you find actual truth. Capital T truth comes from NBC News. Rachel Maddow is our new Jesus. Okay, day one. Memorandum freezing approval of rules passed in the final days of Trump's presidency. Okay, executive order rejoining the Paris Agreement, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Meaningless. Um, Executive order to promote racial equality. That's just virtue signaling. Uh, Proclamation ending ban on U.S. entry from majority Muslim countries. Fine. Uh, Executive order requiring mask wearing on federal property. Okay. Executive order coordinating a government-wide COVID-19 response. Congratulations. Executive order revising immigration enforcement policies so people won't get kicked out of the country that were brought here as children. That makes sense. Um, Executive order on doing regulatory restrictions on federal agencies. Cool. Executive order incorporating undocumented immigrants into the census. I mean, they're here, so let's hear what they have to say. Uh, It'd be good to count them. Um, Executive order refocusing on climate crisis and canceling the Keystone XL permit. Oh, we're going to get into that one. We're going to get into that one. Believe me. Executive order banning discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation, also known as Biden, uh, Biden ends women, I think is what it was. So that just means that your daughters will be getting beat in high school sports by transgender women athletes. Fantastic. Memorandum revamping regulatory review. Okay. Executive order mandating ethics pledge for government appointees so they can't go straight into lobbying after they are uh, out of the administration, which, okay, that's there's some, I think that's a good idea. Proclamation pulling funds from border wall. All right. Executive order positing federal student loan payments, and that also includes interest on student loans. Makes sense. I mean, pandemic and stuff. Uh, Memorandum reinstating deferred enforcement departure for Liberians. Did not even know that was a thing. Memorandum strengthening deferred action for childhood arrivals. That's actually from the kids that were brought over as children uh, from other countries. Again, if a kid is born, if a kid spends most of his life here, and this is all he knows, I don't really, or he or she, um, or non-binary folk, I don't really feel like it makes a lot of sense to be like, okay, go to this other country now, uh, even though you lived here for however long. Like that's that seems odd. Like we can do better than that. All right, that was all on day one. Let's move on to day two. Executive order promoting COVID nineteen safety in domestic and international travel. <sighs> Fine. Executive order expanding access to COVID nineteen treatments. Cool. Executive order promoting data-driven response to COVID-19. I feel like that was probably already happening. Memorandum supporting states' use of National Guard and COVID-19 response. I want to read this one real quick. This this one is kind of interesting. Biden's memorandum directed the secretaries of defense and homeland security to support governor's deployment of the National Guard in efforts to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, which will be fully funded by the Federal Emergency Management Agency. I don't necessarily understand what the National Guard is going to do to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Maybe they'll just start shooting people indiscriminately outside, which is kind of how we handle foreign policy, so let's bring it on home. Anyways, moving on. Executive order strengthening public health supply chain. I think that means more stuff that's built in uh, 
the U.S. And that's going to go into something else we're going to talk about later on in the show, which makes sense. We shouldn't rely on other countries for our emergency medical situation. Executive order establishing the COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force. Mm. In an effort to address social inequalities exacerbated by the pandemic, Biden's order created the COVID-19 Health Equality Task Force, which will promote recommendations on the allocation of resources and funding in light of disparities in COVID-19 outcomes by race, ethnicity, and other factors. I wonder what those other factors could be. Interesting. Executive order supporting the reopening and continued operation of schools. Thank fucking God. Executive order promoting workplace safety amid the pandemic. Everybody works on Zoom now. I think even people that like stock groceries just like run a robot off Zoom. Executive orders establishing a COVID-19 pandemic testing board. (sighs) Okay. Day three. Executive order expanding food assistance programs. Awesome. Executive order assisting veterans with debt. Oh, wow. Biden's order asked the Department of Veterans Affairs to cons- with, uh, well, excuse me. Biden's order asked the Department of Veterans Affairs with considering, what, this is not, the people can't write. This is NBC News. What they're saying is Biden asked the Department of Veterans Affairs to consider freezing federal debt and overpayment collection for about 2 million veterans. That would be fantastic. Wow. Holy shit, Biden's doing something for our veterans. Huh. Hmm, Trump. Could you have done that? That'd been cool. I would have, I would have appreciated that since you stroke off the troops all the time. Executive order guaranteeing unemployment insurance for workers who refuse to work during COVID-19. The language here is a little sketchy. Refuse to work during COVID-19. I would like that to say unable to work during COVID-19 due to comorbidities or pre-existing conditions. I guess they're pre-existing conditions until someone dies and they're comorbidities. But um, yeah, you have a federally guaranteed right to refuse employment that will jeopardize your health. (laughs) Oh, tell that to the oil and gas workers. Executive order establishing benefit delivery teams. Whatever. Executive order facilitating delivery of stimulus payments. Awesome. It'd be cool if they just like had uh, like a little, what are those things called where they like sing a song and they deliver you something? I don't know what that is, but I wish they brought us a check and they sang us a song. That would be great. That'd be a great use of government funds. Executive order to address COVID-19 economic relief. This is all so redundant. Executive order empowering federal workers and contractors. Just empowering them for what? Like to do what? Oh, they get $15 an hour. Got it. Okay. All right. Day six. Executive order reversing transgender military ban. Um, I don't understand why this was ever a conversation. Like, who cares if transgender people want to fight in the military or enlist in the military? Like, I don't understand how that was ever a problem at all. Nonsense. Proclamation reinstating COVID-19 travel uh, restrictions. Okay. Executive order promoting Buy American Agenda. We're going to talk about that later as well. Day seven. One week in, executive order calling for the evaluation of Trump's housing policies. Um, they were bad. <laughs> Consider them evaluated. Executive order to end reliance on private prisons. Oh, we're talking about that later, too. That one that one got me. I enjoy that a lot. Executive order reaffirming commitment to tribal sovereignty. Okay, cool. Day seven is like the best day for all this. This is like when the real shit happened. It was all like virtue signaling for seven days, and then we get to the good stuff. Executive order denouncing anti-Asian discrimination and xenophobia. 
In response to a surge in anti-Asian bias amid the coronavirus pandemic, Biden's order urges the Department of Health and Human Services to consider using guidance on cultural competency and sensitivity towards Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders as part of the nation's COVID-19 response. Additionally, the order directed the Attorney General to work to prevent discrimination and hate crimes. Has that really been a problem? Is that like really a problem right now? Is that worth an executive order? And do we, can you just like make an executive order denouncing a thing? Is that what they're for? I don't know. But what you're seeing from a lot of people, primarily on the right, is that Biden has had so many executive orders. Like, listen, I'm not a Biden fan. Everybody knows that if you listen to the show. But let's be real. The president was Trump, and now it's Biden. So clearly there's going to be a fuck ton of executive orders regardless of the COVID-19 situation. And like seven of these have to do with COVID-19. So if we take all of those out, which we're going to in the show, and just talk about the shit that actually fucking matters to you and me, well then... It really wasn't that much. And most of it is pretty agreeable. Not that controversial. Now, everybody's going to say, well, the, the, he's talking about unity. He's talking about unity and, and having this many executive orders isn't unifying anything. Guys, if you, first off, believing campaign promises is one of the most naive that you might as well believe in Santa Claus. Like campaign promises and Santa Claus have the equal level of reality. They both exist in the same, on the same plane of consciousness and some alternate dimension where people actually do what they say they're going to do when they hold public office, right? It doesn't exist in our reality. Maybe when some mirror reality of ours, we have that. Maybe we're in uh, that like stranger things um, upside down. We're that. And in the, in the right side up, people and politicians do what they say they're going to do, but that's not the reality we live in. So to have that expectation, I don't want to call it unfair, but it's definitely not a healthy place to be because you will be disappointed. So that's the complete list of executive orders to this point. And now let's get into the ones that actually fucking matter. Let's talk about the Keystone XL pipeline. All right. So this has been something that's just been completely blown out of proportion and the whole scale of the oil and gas industry. This is not that big of a project, but Certain people in the climate activist realm realized that if they attached their message to one project and focused on that, they would get much more attention. And that project also happened to run through reservation land and do a bunch of different things. And now it's been, it's become over the last six years, become this incredibly partisan, incredibly heated uh, debate over whether or not this is a worthwhile um, project to do. So from the left, you're hearing that this is just a, a major contributor to climate change, and it's the straw that broke the camel's back, and if this happens, then the whole world's going to be underwater. Obviously, that's not true. And from the right, you have a more compelling argument that this is killing thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs, and it's, it's, that Biden is just ruining jobs, taking away jobs with a stroke of a pen, which is also completely fucking ridiculous. So you have two people trying to mislead you based on their narrative, and I'm going to play this video right here. This is from Fox News, which is back up to its, you know, normal Fox News uh, song and dance. And I haven't actually watched this whole video yet. I haven't watched this whole video, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that we're going to hear something about um, with the stroke of a pen, uh, Biden killed jobs. On day one, Biden couldn't even get through day one of his administration without killing thousands of jobs, yada, yada, yada. And then the right's going to pretend these conservatives are going to get pretend that they give a fuck about union workers, which is comical to say the least. 
and yada yada yada. So let's just see what let's see what their uh, narrative is here, and let's see if we can break down how they're trying to mislead you into drinking their fucking Kool Aid. And this is Representative Brian Stale from Wisconsin. All right, let's see what Brian has to say. Take it away, Brian. Good morning. Welcome back. Republican lawmakers warning that President Biden's executive order stopping construction of the Keystone XL pipeline will be devastating to thousands of Americans who were ready to work on the project. No. One of those lawmakers joining us now, Wisconsin Congressman Brian Stile. Congressman, thanks for being here. You know, when you think Dakota, or excuse me, when you think Keystone XL pipeline, you think of the Dakotas, you think of Nebraska. How does this decision hurt your district there in Wisconsin? A tough night last night with our Packers losing in uh, Wisconsin, sorry. but let me tell you what but let me tell you what really stings. Joe Biden on day one killing thousands of jobs, hundreds of those from the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin, we build things, we make things. We build things, we make things in Wisconsin. We build stuff. That means nothing. It means that that's just rhetoric. Men and women from the state of Wisconsin were working on the Keystone pipeline and on Joe Biden's first day in office. Okay, first off, 1.5 miles of the Keystone Pipeline have been constructed to date. 1.5 miles. Let's put that out there so you know. They got laid off because of a decision of Joe Biden looking to the far liberal left. We need to get this reversed. And if Joe Biden's not willing to do it, Congress is going to need to act. Yeah, 11,000 U.S. Happen. jobs expected to have been created by the Keystone XL pipeline in uh, 2020. Let's keep this number in mind, 11,000. We're going to talk about that in just a second. 21. So what are those people going to do now? President Biden says that he wants to give them uh, clean, green energy jobs. But those are jobs gonna aren't going to be up and running for a few years. So what are those people going to do in the meantime? I went and I spoke to these men and women who were directly impacted to this. A job in the future is not a lot of solace to someone who received a layoff notice on Joe Biden's first day in office. A layoff notice and a job in the future doesn't pay the grocery bill, doesn't cover the rent, doesn't cover the mortgage. We need to have Joe Biden reverse this decision immediately. And if he's not willing to do it, Congress is going to have to act. Yeah. Congressman, do you get a sense that the underpinnings of a lot of this by the Biden administration and by the far left is that, oh, what the fuck? Why? How is anybody associating Joe Biden with the far left? So Joe Biden is in Antifa now. This is this is typical Fox News nonsense. In a few years, oil and gas are going to be done when in reality, of course let's, not. Let's take a step back and say that ain't happening anytime soon. No, nobody thinks well, that. Well, it's also completely a false narrative that this oil and gas isn't coming to the United States. It's hey, sorry, I've got I've got to stop this right here. You understand that straw man right there? That that's a classic straw man argument. The guy goes, people on the left think that in a few years oil and gas is just going to be non-existent. No one thinks that. You just painted these people that are pushing for alternative energy as thinking that oil and gas is going to go away. When any reasonable person knows that oil and gas goes into cosmetics, goes into plastics, like there's so many things that oil and gas is responsible for aside from powering cars. Let's, any reasonable person knows that. So they just classic straw man manipulation tactic bullshit. Coming. It's just going to come by truck or by rail, a far less efficient and a far less environmentally friendly manner than bringing it on a safe and thoughtful pipeline from Canada into the United States. And further, this dis okay. I, I can't, I'm sorry, I have to I have to keep stopping this, and I'm sorry that the audio quality is shit. But um, safe pipeline, okay, safe pipeline. Every pipeline, casing pipe. 
drill, um, downhole pipe, everything will eventually leak. And I can tell you right now, of the three people we have on screen right now, none of those motherfuckers have dug up a pipe and fixed a leak. I've done that. These motherfuckers haven't done that. And they're going to sit there and tell you how safe a pipeline is. Have you ever seen an oil leak? Have you ever seen a natural, natural gas leak? Have you ever seen a saltwater leak? How much saltwater comes out of the ground with oil? These are questions that these people don't, don't have any context on and have very little understanding of. And they're sitting here telling you, based on their limited information, what's best for America. Give me a fucking break. Decision makes us more dependent on Russia, more dependent does not. on the Middle East, more does dependent not. on Venezuela. We need a North American. Oh, now we're going to use the Venezuela argument. For the right, Venezuela is to what Russia is to the left. Everything that everything that like moves is anywhere left of center. Venezuela. Anything and if and if anything's happening that that the left doesn't like, it's obviously Russia. It's the same bullshit. It's the same bullshit and secure supply of energy for our needs here in the United States. Yeah, you bring up such a good point. Canada is still going to be pumping that oil. They're just either going to ship it off to other countries or bring it into the United States by train. So what do you think killing the Keystone XL pipeline really does for the economy or for the environment rather? I don't think it does a lot for the environment. I think it does a lot for these far liberal activists that Joe Biden is pandering to. What we need to do is reverse this decision immediately. We need to allow these men and women to get back to work. This is private sector investment in. The idea that the oil and gas is a private sector industry is so fucking ridiculous. Billions of dollars a year are used to subsidize the oil and gas industry. Billions of dollars a year. And you're going to sit here and be, oh, it's a private, it's a private sector industry. Suck my dick, dude. Infrastructure. It's exactly what we need right now when so many people across the United States are looking for work. This motherfucker wants to talk about infrastructure now. Joe Biden taking his pen and killing thousands of jobs on day one. It'll be curious to see if this potential lawsuit by Canada to force this (laughs) is going to happen. Definitely pay attention to that. Sir, I'm sorry about the Packers. But again, when your defensive coordinator decides to have a horrible scheme okay. there at the end. I don't need to hear this pandering bullshit. All right, so let's get into this. Let's start with the 11,000 job thing, okay? The idea that by canceling the Keystone Pipeline, you're laying off 11,000 people is one, a fucking lie. And two, just, just hyperbolic and misleading, right? So the way that this works, and let me give you context on this. I grew up in the oil and gas industry, okay? I've constructed and deconstructed oil lines, all right? I know how this shit works, okay? And the idea that this 11,000 people are jobless now but will have a job when the Keystone Pipeline is under construction is false. It's just false. Those are contractors. It's it's the equivalent of saying, you plan, say you plan on building a house, Okay, you're building a house, you have, you know, a construction crew that's going to build this house for you. And you have the plans, whatever, and you have it kind of slated as on, on the list of jobs that this, this company is going to do for you. And then you decide not to build the house. Okay, that's, this is the equivalent of me accusing you of laying off, firing, or leading to the unemployment of anybody who was going to work on your house. Does that make any sense to you? Now, let's keep this in mind, okay, because the jobs this was going to create... We're not full-time jobs. These jobs are going to last from four to eight months 
and it was going to be constructed by various crews depending on where they were geographically. The one 11,000 person crew is not going to build this thing from Canada through Texas. Okay. That's not the way gas pipelines and oil pipelines work. You'll contact a crew that works in that area and they will construct it in different sections. And that would last in between four to eight months, depending on where they're at and what they have to do and what the job looks like. Okay. So it's a four to eight month gig. It's a four to eight month project. Now, do these 11,000 people lose a project? Yeah. Is that damaging? Is that, does that mean nothing? Of course that means something, but it's not what they're painting it to be. This they're lying to you. These are fucking lies. And to sit here and, and, and say this 11,000 job thing, right? If I had to venture, if I had to just put it out there for you guys to guess right now, I'm going to give you a little, I'll give you a second to guess how many jobs would that pipeline create in perpetuity? How many full-time jobs would it take to maintain that pipeline? Just think about it from Canada to Texas. How many jobs? 50, 50 and 35 of those would be full-time. 15 would be contractors, 50 jobs at the end of the day, once this thing is done. Now let's get into the nuances of this, that somebody that doesn't understand oil and gas won't get the quality of oil that they are taking out of the oil sands, which is where this would originate. The oil sands of Canada is the lowest quality crude oil you can find. Okay. It's basically, when you think about crude oil, it's a lot of different things mixed together that gets separated through a process into things like automotive oil or into cosmetic oil or into, um, gasoline eventually through refining and different things. It's a process. The dirtier the oil is, the more complicated the refining process. Okay. This is the lowest quality oil you can find anywhere. It looks like if you took oil, crude oil and turned it into jello and then mushed it up. Okay. And the way that they're taking this out of the ground is also incredibly inefficient. I mean, you got to think for every barrel of oil that is pumped out of the ground, that's six barrels of water. All right, so six to one ratio of oil to water that is used and utilized to make that process happen. Okay, that's just one thing that people don't understand. Also, this oil is so low grade, so low quality, that it actually wouldn't be used in the United States. What would happen is that it would travel through the entire United States from Canada, through this pipeline, which will eventually leak, by the way. That's just a fact. And it runs over aquifers and through reservations. So if the natives don't want it, they, they don't want it. Go around, I guess, if you want to do this. Now, this oil would come from Canada all the way through Texas to the Gulf of Mexico. Why would they do that? Well, they want to use our refineries because Texas has the best refineries in the country, right? So they want to use these specialized refineries for their low-quality bullshit oil. And that oil would then be shipped to China to make plastics and cosmetics and things that are made in China and then sold back to us. This would like economically just makes no sense. One, you're using up production at our refineries. Okay. You're creating 50 jobs. All right. And now those refineries are busy doing bullshit that doesn't affect us at all. And that might actually drive our gas prices up. So if you want to, you can attack this from the environmental standpoint, from the human rights standpoint, from the climate change standpoint, from the economic standpoint, this project doesn't make sense. And I'm going to give you one more example of an opinion that I value very highly when it comes to oil and gas. My grandfather, who I worked with growing up, was a small time production guy. We had a handful of wells. Some of them did really well. He's a very smart guy who understands downhole operations. I mean, it's like down the oil well operations more than anybody I've ever met. The guy is, he's, he's, he can't really spell that well or read very well, but he knows what the fuck is going on down an oil well. And I was just on the phone with him before I just started this show. 
And I was like, what do you think about this Keystone Pipeline thing? And the first words that came out of his mouth were, we don't need that oil or that fucking pipeline. As somebody who knows this industry at a deep level, and the amount of oil that's coming out of West Texas from fracking is insane. They can't even ship all the oil. Wells are putting out 5,000 barrels a day. Okay, they're fracking those things for a month straight and creating incredible amounts of oil that they can't even get to the refineries in time. They're overflowing. They're having to hold back production just to get the stuff to the just to get the stuff where it needs to go on trucks. That's where we need a pipeline from West Texas to the coast, not from Canada with their bullshit so we can ship it to China and we bear the burden for that. That whole entire pipeline and when it eventually does leak, it'll be a fucking problem, right? That's our burden. You know who pays for the cleanup of those of that oil? We do. Not the oil companies. Oil companies hate socialism, and those people hate socialism until they want to clean up their fucking mess, and then they love it to be paid for by the government, i.e. us. This project is a fucking joke. It's become hyper-partisan. It makes no sense on every level you can possibly imagine. Those 11,000 people didn't even start their jobs. They weren't even hired on yet. That is a projection. So the idea that they laid off 11,000 people is so manipulated and so misleading. And the fact that, here's what gets me, right? They can lie all they want, but it's compelling. And they think that you're stupid enough to fucking believe it. That's what pisses me off. This fucking asshole thinks you're stupid enough to believe something that he knows isn't true. That's the problem. That's the problem with politics. And this is a perfect example of conservatives going back to doing exactly what conservatives do. Not learning from mistakes, and they're going to have this fake populist message where all of a sudden they care about union workers. Give me a fucking break. The Keystone Pipeline is a joke. We don't need it. I'm glad it's canceled. I will put my fucking foot down here because at the end of the day, I know this industry. I grew up in this industry. I've spent 12 hours fucking swinging a hammer and running a wrench. Okay, I've worked. I've drilled wells. I've fracked wells. I've strung flow line. I've broken out flow line. This is what we did. I've pumped wells. I've gauged tanks. And most of you guys out there probably don't know what a lot of that stuff means. And that's fine. But to be misled like this, I just can't stand for it. I cannot do it. I want to make this show more light and fun, but this shit just pisses me the fuck off. So with that being said, let's move on. All right, let's break down this by American executive order. From your boy, Joe Biden. All right. Biden signs by American executive order. And it's based on his view that we are making things in America and all of America is core to our economic strategy. Now, this is from NBC News. Um, as we all know, the pioneers of truth. So we'll see how this goes. But I want to break this down and just talk about some of the, the statements on both sides. So President Joe Biden signed an executive order Monday aimed at promoting the Buy American agenda he campaigned on last year. Oh, fulfilling a campaign promise. Very nice. Uh, which seeks to bolster U.S. manufacturing through the federal procurement process. The executive order directs agencies to strengthen requirements about purchasing products and services from the U.S. workers and businesses, cuts some red tape, and creates a position in the Office of Management and Budget responsible for enforcing the directive. I like that. And that's great. We should buy American, right? Now, there's a lot of nuance there, right? So, like, Toyota is a Japanese company, but they're, they have actually the, the most parts and labor um, of any other America that, that are based in America or from America than any other car company. I think the to Toyota Corolla 
is the most American-made car there is because Japan has really put this whole thing together. Like the Toyota Tundra is built in Texas. So they've done a really good job as far as that's concerned. So shouts to, I'm kind of a Toyota fanboy. So anyway, speaking Monday at a signing ceremony, Biden was critical of former President Donald Trump's Buy America efforts and pledged that his attempt would have clear directives and be a coordinated effort. Listen, you love Trump or hate Trump, you can tell, you can admit that he didn't have very clear directives or very many coordinated efforts. Like that was one of his weak points. That makes sense there. The president added that as a part of this executive order, the federal government will move to replace its fleet of vehicles with American made electric cars over time. He also noted a push to replenish federal stockpiles, noting the ongoing pandemic. Cool. So Tesla's going to get paid. That's fantastic. Maybe a few of those Detroit manufacturers as well. That would be great. I think that would be, I like this. This is feeling good to me. This is feeling good. Now we're going down here. we got a quote. It says, it's based on his view that we are making things in America and all of America's corridor economic strategy. An, administra- an administration official told reporter Sunday, adding that the order is part of a broader effort to strengthen supply chains and modernize international trade rules. Now, one of the biggest criticisms of Biden is that his relationship with China and globalization and NAFTA and all these other things um, were a problem. And maybe it, maybe it's possible, right? This guy's been in public service for like 11 million years. Um, maybe it's possible that he just committed to public service and he learned from his mistakes, which is what I was hoping for. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but that's kind of where I feel it. And he goes down and says, we're going to argue like hell. I'm confident in that. Believe me. I know that, Biden said. I've been there. But I think we can do it in a way that that we can get things done for the American people. Awesome. Now, if we go down and look at what, you know, they, they put some quotes in here from what Democrats are having to say. But let's hear what the conservative thought process is on something like this. Meanwhile, FreedomWorks, a conserva- conservative ag- advocacy group that has opposed similar efforts, criticized the initiative. Its president, Adam Brandon, who has two first names and no soul, said... What while the other sounds nice, at the end of the day, it's only going to raise the prices of what government buys with American taxpayer payer dollars amid a widening a deficit. Oh, these deficit hawks. Beautiful. I love hearing that. It would be such a shame that if the government spent money at American companies on American products and that money that we give to the government in tax revenue goes back to working class people. Oh my God, that would be fucking terrible. We should spend it overseas or funnel that shit upward. That's a better idea. Let's just keep doing what we're doing because that's fucking working, you dipshit. What the fuck is wrong with you? Do you understand how stupid what that sounds? Oh, Spending a little more money on American-made products to, to bolster our, mid, our working class is just, it's just inefficient. And efficiency is, is how, we, how we create a better world. Do you not see that ideas like this lose? Do you understand why Trump was elected in the first place? On his fake populist message? It wasn't because he said shit like that. That is some Reagan era bullshit. Give me a break, guys. This is a cool idea. Why not? Why not focus the money that we spend... In taxpayer dollars and in or, or donate to the fucking government in taxpayer dollars, right? Forcibly donate uh, under you know threat of jail time. Why don't we use that on American products? Like, why is that not that's a, that's a no brainer? That money goes right back to the people that need it. Now, if we fix some of the tax loopholes and people pay their fair share in taxes, and that money goes back to American made products, 
and we have some, you know, workers' rights revolution, we're in a pretty good spot. We're in a pretty good spot. So my thoughts on this Buy American situation, one thumb up. Not two, one, that's a little iffy. We'll see how it plays out. But I'm curious. Let's move on. Prison reform, prison reform. Let's change the way that we put people in prison. All right. Executive order on reforming our incarceration system to eliminate the use of privately owned criminal detention facilities because when you add a profit motive to putting people in fucking cages, you incentivize putting people in fucking cages even when they don't deserve it. Weird how that works. Profit motive takes out compassion, takes out empathy, takes out morality. Hmm. Let's move on here. By the authority vested in me as president, by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, I hereby order as follows. Section 1. More than 2 million people are currently incarcerated in the United States, including a, including a disproportionate number of people of color. There is a broad consensus that our current system of mass incarceration imposes significant costs and hardships to our society, communities, and does not make us safer. Wow, it only took 60,000 fucking years to figure that out. To decrease incarceration levels, we must reduce profit-based incentives to incarceration by phasing out the federal government's reliance on privately operated criminal detention facilities. No shit. (laughs) We must ensure that our nation's incarceration and correctional systems are prioritizing rehabilitation and redemption. Redemption. Incarceration, incarcerated individuals should be given a fair chance to fully reintegrate into their communities, including bipartisan, uh, by participating in programming tailored to earning a good living. I said living like I'm from Texas because I am earning a good living, securing affordable housing and participating in our democracy as fellow citizens. However, privately operated criminal detention facilities constantly underperform federal facilities with respect to correctional services, programs, and resources. We should ensure that time in prison prepares individuals for the next chapter of their lives. (sighs) The federal government also has a responsibility to ensure the safe and humane treatment of those in federal criminal justice system. However, the Department of Justice Office of Inspector General found in 2016, privately operated criminal detention facilities do not maintain the same levels of safety and security for people in the federal criminal justice system as uh, for correctional staff or for correctional staff, excuse me. So the prisoners or the staff weren't treated as well and uh, weren't as safe. We have a duty to provide these individuals with a safe working and living condition. All right, so let's talk about this real quick. It's interesting to me, all right? So similar to what we talked about with the Keystone Pipeline, I have a lot of experience with that. I actually have a fair amount of experience with the federal um, corrections facilities as well. My dad spent uh, about six years in federal prison, five, about five or six years. And having a conversation with him after he got out of prison was really interesting for whatever reason. And this has just made me, this like warmed my cold little heart. My dad devoted himself to personal development in prison. Okay, and I got to sit down at Christmas and I hadn't seen him in seven years or so. So we hadn't seen each other for a while before he got locked up. And just do we I seen him one time in that in that period through a sheet of glass on the like payphone type situation. 
we were in there talking and, and he and I would text. You can t- actually text from federal prison sometimes. It's like an email situation where they, they obviously read all of them and they're all filtered. But um, we could text in, when he was in prison. We actually started to build, rebuild our relationship while he was locked up, which I thought was, was actually really special for me. Um, but when we talked about his experience in prison, it was also really eye-opening to understand how those, how the prison system actually works. And, um, my girlfriend Kelly actually asked him a great question because he had gotten into, um, some Jordan Peterson work and Mark Manson and like these people that I really admire. He was reading their books and he had to wait, I think two months to get the one copy of 12 rules for life that they had Jordan Peterson's book, 12 rules for life that they had in the prison because it was in such high demand. And Kelly asked him when we were sitting there talking, what percentage of people in prison are really dedicated to make having a better life when they get out? And well, my dad, I thought he had a really good stance on this. He said it's about 10% of people that they have this little kind of crew in there, right? Of people that are, that are passing these books around and discussing these different things and doing Wim Hof breathing and stuff like that. He said about 10% of people have set the goal to, to, add the number of years of, of, of life, of quality life to their life that they spent in prison. So whatever it's been, my dad spent six years. He wants to add six years of quality life that he can spend with his kids, his grandkids and be a participating member in society. Now it's really fucking hard for him to find a job. Obviously he's a felon. So that's a whole different situation. I wish there was some kind of federal jobs program for that or some kind of, um, federal assurance as far as that goes. There's a lot of ways we could work work that out because these people, it's not like if you ever watch, if you watch The Wire, you understand that just because someone was involved in drugs does not mean they're not smart and does not mean they don't have incredible work ethic. It's just focusing it in a place where there is some um, ability to make a, a, a living that's that's healthy. And it's been really interesting to see this all shake out. So I absolutely love this. Adding the profit motive to certain things corrupts the system, right? We've seen that in our healthcare system. We can't trust pharmaceutical companies. That's like trusting Joe from the show you like it just doesn't make any sense to to trust people who have consistently lied to us on everything from Oxycontin to God, who knows what else? Tamiflu. Like it's just it's it's a foundation of lies in that system. And when you add that profit motive to something that's supposed to be correctioning, well, then it doesn't really make sense. And if you have a private system that's built on profit margins, of course, those people are going to get lower quality food, which contributes to mental illness. Um and just lethargy in general and so many other things, right? That, that's a huge component of the situation. Also not having adequate amounts of uh, resources, books, things like that, opportunities to learn. I mean, you got all kinds of time in there and very, you know, 10% of people maybe in federal prison are actually committed to this and people are having a hard time. Like drug rehab, facility, re- rehab uh, within the prison system would be a great idea. That also employs a lot of social workers. It's a great jobs program. I know people who do that and are, find it very fulfilling and get a lot out of that. So this is just, to me, honestly, like this, of course, I have a, a more personal relationship with this type of situation than most people. But I think this is absolutely incredible. And I, I'm really excited to see this happen. And I don't think Trump could have done something like this. He did do the First Step Act. And that was great. That was a really great system, and, and he did not get enough credit for it. But he also couldn't speak about it because he had to run this like tough-on-crime type of narrative that, that that would have conflicted with. So he had to pick a side. He had to pick, am I going to work on prison reform and police reform, or am I going to be tough-on-crime? It's hard to do both without being called a hypocrite, even though you can do both simultaneously if you're transparent about it. So I, I, I dig this. I think this is great, and I'm really honestly proud of the Biden administration for this. This, this points us in a good direction. 
Also with the caveat, and I don't want to leave without saying this, that a lot of those people that are in prison are because Kamala Harris um, and her unjust drug policies and the way that she prosecuted people in California. Just going to put that out there. Let's not overlook the fact that Kamala Harris loved the people in prison and even kind of made fun of them for it. So let's, let's just make sure it's all fair and balanced here. That was terrible. The crime bill was terrible. But as you remember, right, I said maybe those people will be held to account because of those high-profile mistakes that they made. And maybe they'll make different decisions in order to kind of write the path and correct their legacy. Because now, I mean, you have the president and the vice president they have a legacy, right? So maybe the amount of shame that's been dumped on them for the 1994 crime bill and the way that Kamala Harris did her job in California are coming back to actually benefit the people finally. And that's something you got to love to see. The For the People Act that Democrats are pushing right now might be a valuable piece of legislation. And I want to put this out there. Let's put it out there for everybody. You have Bernie Sanders and AOC to thank for this. They brought the absolutely corrupt campaign finance system that we have in this country to light on a large scale for the first time that I can remember. I don't remember any, any Democrat or any Republican talking about that um, in my lifetime. And maybe I wasn't politically engaged as a six-year-old, but I may be wrong. But I, I remember this This is something that I feel so strongly about. Campaign finance is something that I feel like is the, is the dirty underbelly of our politics. And it allows those with enough money to buy influence to shift policy in their favor, which is leading to more inequality within our country. Of, every, of people of all races and all classes, There's just, it, it, it is it's fundamentally feeding the division within our country. And I think that this might be a step in the right direction. So Democrats prioritize campaign finance overhaul with the For the People Act. Congressional Democrats are prioritizing camp. Well, you just said that in the fucking thing. Okay, anyways. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced Tuesday that the upper chamber will consider the For the People Act before any other bill designated as S.1. Democrats in the House made a similar move earlier this month. The bill aims to tackle corporate influence, dark money, foreign attempts to influence American elections and voter suppression practices within the wake of the 2020 election cycle, which broke campaign spending records. Now we go into this and we'll get into a little bit of the detail here. The bill stipulates that candidates who opt into the program will be funded by a freedom from influence fund, which is to be funded solely by an assessment paid on federal fines, penalties and settlements for certain tax crimes and corporate malfeasance. So, the same people that are buying influence and influence peddling within the government, whenever they get caught doing corrupt ass shit and they pay fines, those fines go back into funding the types of candidates that will attack them, which is really funny to me the way that comes full circle, right? It's like, oh, hey, yeah, you're getting fined for uh, tax evasion or just general some other kind of corruption. And we're going to take that fine. We're going to put it into a fund that is funding the types of people who are going to come after you. So keep your shit together because that's where your money's going, which I think is just such, it's just karmic. It, and that is like, if you, if there was a political karma wheel, like that is exactly what it would look like. The legislation would implement the Disclose Act, a bill first proposed 
as a 2010 response to the Supreme Court's decision on Citizens United, which was super fucked, um, which granted corporations the ability to spend unlimited sums of independent on independent expenditures. The Disclosure Act would require pol- 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 political nonprofits to disclose the identities of individuals who donate more than $10,000 to the organization. The bill would also mandate that the dark money groups file disclosure reports with the Federal Elections Commission every time they make election-related expenditures in excess of $10,000. So that's basically paying for any ad anywhere unless Fox News is given to them for free, which I can see that happening. So it's really, this is good. This is a step in the right direction. And I wanted to bring this up because this is something that I feel like because of the way that uh, mainstream media makes its money on advertising, and a lot of these people spend a ton of money on advertising, you won't hear about it a lot there. But this is one of those things that I feel like we can all get behind. If you want reasonable political discourse, if you want to have democracy within this country, if you want things like ranked choice voting or you want your voice to be heard, if you would like for the bills that are passed into law, legislation that is created to reflect the needs and wants and desires of the people, then you should be for this bill. Now, there is a little bit in there. Of course, they're lumping in some um, some voter suppression stuff where they're kind of opposing voter ID situation where you would still get your ballots in the mail, but you would have to provide uh, the last four digits or your full social social security number to, to submit your ballot, which I'm actually 100% for. I'm with the Republicans on that. I, I think that you should have to provide uh, a driver's license number, uh, the last four of your social, something that really only you know to vote with some kind of Dropbox or mail-in voting system. And uh, I, I'm, I think that the way that we did it this year was was really poor. I, I didn't like the fact that I could just fill out a ballot that showed up in my house and drop it off at a box with no ID or no way of knowing it was actually me. Like apartment complexes that have 500 units, like somebody could have just snagged all of those and filled them all out and dropped them off and no one would have ever known the wiser. Not that that happens a ton, but it happens enough to be problematic. And there's a better system. Right, there's a better system for that. If you can get a DVD at Redbox, right, like you can drop your ballot off in a place that has some kind of ID situation. So that's that's to me is a little bit weird, and if they're lumping that in there, but I think over the course of the debate, that'll get we'll find some middle ground that actually makes sense. But other than that, this is a really really cool initiative, and I'm super excited to get behind this, and I wanted to share it with you so you can just keep your ears and eyes open for this kind of discourse and seeing what's going on. We'll obviously be discussing this quite a bit um, as it goes forward and the narratives that are being pushed by both sides, which is something that you all know that I love to do. So that is the For the People Act. Be on the lookout. Super interesting stuff. And now it's that time of the show where my tired, crazy ass that has been awake for a little over 18 hours now. gives you something to think about even though I'm working at about 40% capacity right now. All right, so this is kind of bouncing around my head the other day, maybe influenced by some of my favorite political commentators. But if you notice, this happens a lot, right? Obama did this. Hillary Clinton did this. Most Democrats did this. They, when Trump was elected, they blamed the voters, right? 
They blame the voters. It wasn't their own failings. It wasn't that Hillary Clinton is the most unlikable person on the face of the planet. Um, none of that. They blame the voters. The basket of deplorables, right? Which has caused more and more division because why in the actual fuck would you think that's a good idea? Michelle Obama did it too. And it's this real lack of accountability, right? And I always have this issue, and you've heard me say this before probably, that the people in, in, in politics, especially on the right, want people to have personal responsibility, but they like to be shielded from personal responsibility by functioning within a government and blaming it on someone else. So it is really odd that there's like this, that, that's like one of the most clearest, the most clear forms of hypocrisy that I've ever seen in my life. But with this being said, there was no sense of self-reflection on the Democrats' part of, oh, what did we do wrong here? Why did we lose? How did Trump beat us? You know, yada, yada, yada. What would have happened if Bernie was the candidate? That doesn't even cross anybody's mind besides mine, apparently. And maybe Crystal Balls and Kyle Kalinske's, right? Like, we're the ones talking about, hey, you know this whole riot thing that happened at the Capitol wouldn't have happened if Bernie was the candidate, right? That that just would not have been a thing. The voter fraud thing, a non-issue. Like, you're not going to convince anybody in the world that the DNC conspired in mass voter fraud to get Bernie Sanders elected. Right? If Bernie Sanders would have beat Donald Trump, which I think would have happened, like it just would have been over. It'd been like, wow, we chose left-wing populism instead of r- fake right-wing populism. That's at the end of the day, it's what have, would have happened here. But the actions of the Democrats and their complete failure to reflect on those actions and how they can lead to failure which is what Nancy Pelosi has created within the House, that we may still have a majority in the House, or the Democrats, I'm not a Democrat, sorry. <laughs> the Democrats may have a majority in the House, but they lost so many seats. They have a slim majority. Now in the Senate, um, because of things like $2,000 checks and some really strong campaigning in Georgia, the Democrats have the Senate as well. So there is there were some victories there, of course, but the Democrats are so bad at reflecting on their failures. And I think that could lead to a Trump 2.0. And I just want to flush this idea out. I want everybody to be kind of thinking about this, if it interests you at all. What could lead to the next Trump, right? And that doesn't mean Ivanka Trump or Don Jr. or Eric or Barron, I guess the guy's name is. I don't not mean like another Trump, but someone who runs in a similar fashion, maybe an outsider who comes in and brings a populist message or brings an authoritarian message, right? And what could that end up being like? What's the best version of that and what's the worst version of that? And to me, when I look at it, I think, well, the best version would be someone who runs on an actual populist platform and delivers on those promises without all the Trumpiness, right? Without the just like the, the general sense of that can defend himself without being looking like a looking like a complete clown. Right, like that's like I talked about earlier in the show, the first step act and how how Biden or how Trump couldn't bring that up because he was, even though it was an amazing policy and a great a step in the right direction on all counts and something that could have gotten people left of center in his camp, but couldn't bring it up because he wanted to tweet law and order every other day, right? That's, that was the line he took. That was a mistake, clearly. So when we look at this and think about the best and worst case scenario, I think the worst case scenario and I may be wrong here, but the worst case scenario is someone who is like Trump in his ability to rile people up and create a really strong base, but that is a little bit more conniving, right? Trump's lies, and Trump loved to lie, right? But I kind of prefer Trump's lies to Obama's lies because Obama's lies didn't seem like lies. Trump just seemed like a jackass, right? So like, to me, that's like somebody you know, just lying, saying that I'm an elephant. It's like, well, I'm clearly not an elephant, so I don't really care, right? But if somebody accuses me of something that seems like it's real, even though it's fake, that's a problem, right? So to me, sneaky 
and in lies that are that are disguised as truth and even feel like they're true are more dangerous than blatant lies that are just like okay right they're more dangerous i mean they they may not be as insulting <laughs> because at least they're disguised as, as as truth but here we are all right so i think the worst case scenario is somebody who has like that same kind of authoritarian bent that riles up the wrong kind of people that create the wrong kind of action like storming the capitol and then gives the democratic media just kind of this this ability to call it an insurrection without ever being challenged, even though it was not really that. Um, so we get in that situation. That's the worst case. But what if we had someone on the right who ran with similar campaign promises and initiatives to Trump that wasn't Trump, that was actually charismatic and compassionate and, and had at least an ounce of empathy, and that person could deliver, right, and do it so do so respectfully, Right, I don't. I don't think acting presidential necessarily is required, but someone that we can look at and 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 you can look at you can tell your kids like, hey, that's a guy who respects himself and respects the country. Right, he's not like dry humping a flag on stage. To me, if we had to pick one version of Trump 2.0, I obviously would choose that one. Right, and I would love for someone like that to pick someone who was center left, in the form of Unity 2020. Right, someone like Tulsi Gabbard to run as vice president. That is the best case scenario in my mind of a Trump 2.0. Now, maybe you disagree, and the name of this segment is something to think about for a reason. But what do you think could happen in the next four years or eight years that could lead to a Trumpy-style candidate actually having a chance in a national election? Just something to think about. Guys, it's been fun. Thank you for letting me uh, air my grievances about being up for so long, but I had a fucking amazing day. Shot my first mallard, shot my first pintail. If you guys are into duck hunting, you may know what that is. If not, that's okay. It was a really cool day. I was in the water hacking through ice at 4.30 in the morning (laughs) in zero degree temperatures, and I'm exhausted. But I love doing this show. I love all you guys. Thank you so much for being here and supporting everything that I do. Keep your head on straight. Be safe out there. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.